0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process
1: in all genres. Okay, welcome back. Here we go. Now, uh, I've changed my co-hosts on this show. I mean, uh, Mr. Brian Turnoff had to turn off. (laughs) 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 And uh, the ever-ever-vescent... (laughs) has an (laughs) ever-present. David Martino is back, which is real exciting, you know. It's exciting to have you back. It's got to have some sort of thing going on. Um, Okay, so we're going to get into it. So we changed from science fiction, and now we're going back into a true crime story, a true story. Uh, We've had this guest on before, Um, David M. Bears. Thank you for being here, Dave.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Um, so, David, so people that don't know you, uh, before we talk about the book too much, um, kind of what's your history um, uh, and, got, and got you into writing books like this?
0: <laughs> well, I, I never dreamed I'd be an author, but uh, my, my background is in law enforcement. and then, uh, But then when I left law enforcement, I went into private practice as a licensed investigator here in New York. And uh, since then, I've worked on... A lot of high-profile cases, and this one, uh, like my other one, was kind of a. a, It was a. a, I felt it was a wrongful conviction, and uh, it was a story that that needed to be told. Um, So that that was kind of my inspiration for writing my first book, as well as uh, as my second. So I did that, and uh, I just I just got it published here uh, this past week, and uh, it's live now on uh, Amazon. And I, I'm anxious for my readers to uh, to get a hold of it.
1: So, what? Um, how did you find this story? Now, this is the uh, it's called "Immunity for Murder," and it's the Veronica Taft story. So, how did you find Veronica Taft, or how did you find the story?
0: Well, it's, it's uh, I was directly involved. Uh, Veronica Taft was arrested uh, back in September of 2011, and she was accused of murdering her two-year-old son eight months earlier in, in the end of December, 2010. Now, she was a young single mom. She had four small children all under the age of five. And uh, she was accused of killing her two-year-old during that time. But the investigation uh, dragged on for like eight months, even though the evidence uh, initially, within the first couple of days, pointed to the boyfriend, uh, for whatever reason, they kind of turned the tides and went after Veronica. And then eight months later, they arrested her, indicted her, and then a year after that, they convicted her of uh, murder and manslaughter. But shortly after she was arrested, um, I received a call from her attorney. His name is Dave Butler from Vestal, New York. I'd worked with him before on other uh, defense cases, and uh, he, he said he needed my help, Um uh, so i met with him and he explained the story and i adopted a case and uh, i got i was involved with uh, with a case uh, thereafter including uh, during the trial itself i actually sat with the attorney at the defense table uh, in defense of ronica so that's how i got involved like i said she was she was convicted after a two week trial and she was sentenced to uh, 25 years to life in state prison and incarcerated at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women down in uh, Westchester County, New York.
1: So, so when a case like that comes up, and and you get asked to help, of course you don't you don't know Veronica or anything about it until you get on the case. Um, okay. How do you know when the person is innocent? Like, I, I mean, because everyone says they're innocent, right? That's kind of the old story. Yeah. Oh, they didn't do it.
0: Well, like I said, the the evidence in this case. Uh, pointed to the the boyfriend all along, Uh, and it was rather bizarre that that, that they even decided to go after her. Uh, She had a rock-solid alibi that was verified four ways. The the doctor who did the autopsy established uh, an estimated time of death to be between 3 and 4 a.m., and uh, during that time, she was at work. Uh, She was working full-time on the night shift at a local high school from 11 p.m. until 7 a.m., while her, boy- while her boyfriend babysat the four kids. So that was the first uh, red flag for me, was that she had this solid alibi and the, the estimated time of death. You know, we argued that pretty aggressively during the trial, and uh, <laughs> obviously it didn't work. Uh, but then uh, there was other, other issues in the, in the case as well. Uh, evidence that wasn't examined, uh, uh, incredible witnesses. They they had a jailhouse snitch that they used. That uh, he was just all over the place, uh, you know, looking for a deal for himself. And uh, so it all came together, and they ended up convicting this woman, and uh, she went to prison for uh, altogether about five and a half years. But the most amazing thing was. Uh, when her appeal finally went through, it, it, was like, it was like an unprecedented decision by the appellate court and they, uh, they found that the, the evidence, uh, the verdict was against the weight of the evidence. And they threw out her murder and manslaughter convictions and they really blasted the, the police and prosecution for uh, the methods and evidence they used uh, to convict her. It was a pretty impressive decision. So that she was released uh, from from a prison, and at first I thought uh, she'd have to go and have another trial, but <laughs> that's not what the appellate court said. They they threw it out entirely. So she was uh, she was exonerated, and, and they clearly pointed the finger back at the boyfriend. Well, so that's what prompted me to. Uh, I, I knew she was innocent all along, but uh, the appellate court decision re- kind of reaffirmed that, and that's what led me to. Uh, end up writing the story.
1: What was it about her that the police didn't like? Or what, was there something, was the boyfriend kind of friends with the police there? Or, like, how did this all go that way if it looked so much like the boyfriend? And she sort of was set up, you know, she had an alibi and everything like that. I just wonder, so what, what was it about this case that made the police go after her?
0: I, I, I really don't know for sure why they switched gears and went after her. Like I said, all the evidence was pointing toward him. Uh, but one one of the things that they were working with was uh, th- some of Veronica's friends, or so-called friends of hers, uh, when they found out Lyric died, they came forward and started telling the police about some prior, uh, claiming there were some bad things happening with Veronica and her kids. But uh, those same allegations had been made previously, and investigated by Child Protective Services, and not one of them was ever substantiated. In fact, the Child Protective Services uh, wrote up several reports that were unfounded when they went to uh, Veronica's house to check on her kids and to drug test her. her. Her kids never showed any signs of injuries or bruises or neglect, anything like that, and her drug tests were clean every time. But yet, those same people were were allowed to come into the trial and and testify to all those prior allegations, even though none of them were substantiated.
1: Well, I was just wondering, was uh, the boyfriend ever charged?
0: No. In fact, that's where the title of the book comes from. He was granted immunity. Oh, I see.
1: Oh, (laughs) he testified against her then.
0: He testified against her. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty bizarre. Al. Uh, you know, the uh, like I said, the doctor that did the autopsy had, had estimated the time of death between three and four a.m., and so that that was a big hurdle that they had to get over, uh, and they really they couldn't. And uh, but but they but they got the doctor to admit during grand jury and the trial that it it, it was possible. Uh, to have been uh, several hours earlier, uh, and that really didn't make any sense to me or the attorney that I worked for. So th- they offered testimony that was just based on possibilities and, and assumptions that that this happened earlier, uh, like before she went to work, which would mean you know six hours or more, and that and just never made any sense. And the and the other the other kind of a bizarre thing was. Uh, During the autopsy, the the doctor uh, found some contents in the boy's stomach. And he preserved those for future examination. There was about 50 grams of uh, some type of food. He couldn't identify it visually. But they never sent it out for for testing. And that became a problem because, uh, according to the doctor, food will clear from the stomach within an hour or two after eating it. Lyric's last known meal was uh, like at 5 o'clock. Uh, before, you know, that evening, earlier that evening. Uh, but then, uh, supposedly, uh, the boyfriend fed all the kids, all four of them, some uh, French fries and tater tots after Veronica left for work. But but the boyfriend claimed that uh, even though all four of the plates were clean, he never saw the little boy eating his. Uh so we were anxious to find out what the stomach contents were um, because we were quite certain it was going to be like remnants of a potato product, but they never tested it um, to find out what it was. And the other thing <laughs> that was really pretty bizarre was uh, when, the, when the baby uh, went to the hospital, he was, he was just wearing a diaper and a, and a hoodie a shirt underneath, and uh, so they, they secured all his clothing and a diaper, and they and they examined the clothing later, about a week later, and they found specks of blood on the outside of Lyric's diaper. The boy's name was Lyric. But the thing is, that the, according to the autopsy report, there was no external bleeding. It was all internal. He'd been beaten badly. So where does the blood come from? But they, they never tested it. And the bizarre thing was the, uh, when the boyfriends brought in for his interview that very same day, later that day, um, his knuckles are bleeding. And he, he yeah. claims that he, uh, he punched a wall in, in the living room because he was frustrated about what happened to the boy. And that's true. He did punch the wall. Uh, and Veronica saw him do that. But our position was yeah. that the only reason he punched the wall was to cover up where he had slammed the boy's head into the wall, and he, uh, in the process he raked his fingernails, he raked his knuckles, and they started bleeding. So when he, uh, when he changed the Lyric's diaper, put a new diaper on him and redressed him, he got blood on the diaper. Uh, but like I said, they, they, never, they never tested it. Um, and, and then they, they actually came into court and said that uh, there was no value to doing that.
1: So, do you kind of assume uh, that it was just incompetence, or do you think it was more malicious that they, that they did this? Oh boy, well, you know, you know, it's hard,
0: you know it, it, initially yeah. I thought it was just incompetence, but you know, these this department, you know, they're it wasn't their first rodeo. They've been they've been they get a lot of cases, uh, and I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, I, I even know some of the uh, investigators that were involved. Uh, I'd never known him to do anything like that. It just seemed like a bad decision that, that, to, to go after her as opposed to the boyfriend when everything was pointing to him.
1: It's kind of crazy. So, so basically, the, the baby was beat to death then? Yeah, I, how, beaten very
0: badly. I mean, he had, a, he had a lacerated liver that got detached from the spine. Half of his blood volume was in his abdomen, and he had a, a swollen and bleeding uh, brain. Both, both of which, according to the doctor, would have been fatal.
1: I was just wondering if um, she she was exonerated, but did she ever get her other children back?
0: Yes, it it took it took a long time, but she did get her kids back, and they're doing pretty well. I interviewed her for the book uh, last a year ago, June, and uh, all her kids were there. Uh, they were doing fine, and uh, was a very strong woman, and. Uh, I was convinced early on that she did do this and the boyfriend didn't I, I I could never understand why they uh turned the tides on her.
1: What what does she say? What does she say the boyfriend did it or does she say nothing?
0: Well she doesn't know because she wasn't there. Silly I hmm. I uh, she she was uh, she was trying to defend him because she she never had any uh history of him uh, abusing the kids or her or anybody else. Uh, but you know the evidence was was pretty clear as, as to how badly this child was beaten and uh, and she kept telling the police you know it, it, when they questioned her said you know, it had to have been him I was at work if you find out the time of death and uh, and, and uh, what was in his stomach you'll you'll know that so she was basically telling them how to do their job but uh, but they didn't
1: yeah
0: and the crime scene work uh, al was really bad Um really bad, it, 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 very incomplete, abbreviated. Then, then the... I mean, it was clear from the get-go that this child was beaten badly. It wasn't from no accident. Uh, but then the... the it, two of the crime scene investigators get up on the witness stand at the trial, and, and w- when they're challenged about the amount of time they spent at the crime scene and why they didn't do this and why they didn't do that, <laughs> their, their explanation was, We didn't know it was a homicide, or or it may have been a Sid's death. I mean, I I mean, I just rolled my eyes. Uh, You know, one look at that baby, and you know, it's not a Sid's death. And uh, and 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 it also contradicted the lead investigator who testified that you know we treated it as a homicide from the get go.
1: Now, is Veronica back with that boyfriend ever, or are they? Oh no, no,
0: No, she uh, yeah. In fact, he uh, during that eight-month period d- during the investigation, uh, she actually had some major problems with him. He was threatening her. He assaulted her once, and the police did nothing. So finally, she uh, she packed up and moved out of town to uh, distance herself from him. And then, so so no, she didn't uh, she didn't go back with him. She did she did initially hmm. right after it happened because she she told the police that. You know, she wanted to uh, hear it from him and, and try to get him to admit what he did so she could tell them. But that didn't work. He, he never admitted anything to her. So, yeah, she, she wow. packed her bag and moved out of town uh, right up until the time uh, that she was arrested. And Ooh. then they used a, a jailhouse snitch uh, who, who had a very lengthy history of arrests himself, and he's he's looking for a deal. So he initially... He tells the police that it was the boyfriend who who made it admission to him that he killed the little boy. And he told them that like four times. And then uh, when the police told him that they didn't believe him, uh, he knew his his, his deal was not going to work out. So he changed his story and said that it was Veronica who confessed. And the, the appellate court pointed that out pretty clearly in their decision.
1: Yeah, what do you hope people get out of the book? Like when they take it home and read it. What are you hoping that they they they, they take away?
0: Just just an awareness that, that this type of thing can happen. You know, I, I actually wrote a little segment in the book about, you know, it, it comes at a time when when our nation is experiencing uh, a lot of protests about justice and injustice and and, and these groups are demanding police reform and police change much needed, and, and that's what really needs to happen here, uh, because this this should never have happened, uh, and, and things need to change if, if we're going to prevent it from happening again, if, if it hasn't happened already. Uh, like I said, I, I worked with some of these guys in the past, and I, I never, had, never had any reason to believe they'd ever do anything like this, so uh, it was just uh, really pretty bizarre set of circumstances as to why they did this.
1: Does it, I guess it probably affects your relationship with those people. I, I would imagine. Well, you know, they, they, yeah, they're not going to like
0: what I wrote in there, but, you know, they they did what they did, and I, I, I find it very difficult. Knowing, knowing what I know about Chucky e. Pratt, the boyfriend, and the evidence against him, I, I could never accept the fact that they thought they were doing the right thing by going after her instead of him. But at the same time I didn't want to believe that they uh, would frame an innocent woman, but all things considered that's what they did.
1: Crazy. Sounds like it a is. crazy I mean, you,
0: it'll, it'll make you it'll make you angry uh, when you read the story uh, what they did. Uh, and I have I mm. have access to the entire case file including the grand jury and trial transcripts so and, and they even they even videotaped the interviews of the boyfriend and Veronica so you know there's, there's direct quotes in there from from what they said during those interviews and what they were telling the police and other people uh, it's all there
1: was, was this boyfriend the father of the infant
0: no no um, she had she had four children the, the oldest two were fathered by uh, another man and then her youngest two were fathered by another man and uh she had issues with them uh, both of them engaged in domestic violence with her and Cps got involved and uh, so she she uh, severed her relationship with them actually moved out of state at one point until she found out that uh, the the one father of her two youngest children was in jail and being treated for mental health issues and uh, so then she moved back to uh the binghamton new york area and uh found a little apartment and a job working nights at the high school and she was doing pretty well for herself and then she got introduced to uh this chucky the boyfriend who had moved up from the bronx and of course we find out that he had a a drug history he'd been in state prison for a while but no they uh he he was not the father of any of her children
1: Oh, okay. Now, so is everything okay for her now? Is she doing better now? And the kids? Yeah, she's better? doing
0: much better. Uh, she's living out of state uh, with her kids. I, I I speak to her once in a while. She's anxious to read the book. In fact, she just got it the other day. Yeah, she's uh-huh. doing she's doing pretty well. She's living out of state. She's got she's working. Uh, her kids are doing well. I mean, I, I met all of her kids uh, back last. year. A year ago, June, when I when I went up to interview her, she introduced me to all her kids, and uh, um, yeah, she seemed to be doing pretty well. A long time to get her care. kids back, especially her oldest. Uh, she'd actually been placed in a pre-adoptive home and was on the verge of being adopted. And like Veronica told me, she said I could have lost her forever, um, but it was just kind of in the nick of time that she uh, she was able to get her back. But it took two years. Uh, after she got out of prison yeah. for being reunited with her kids. And then she said the kids hated her at first, she said, because of all the bad things her foster parents were telling them. And uh, so she said it was, a, it was an uphill battle. And then she had to go back to family court and fight them all over again. You know, you know one of the mm-hmm. bizarre things, uh, also, Alan, was uh, after she was released from prison and moved upstate, New York. So those witnesses that uh, testified against her with those false allegations uh, of abuse, they actually tracked her down and, and went up and found her and apologized to her and told her that the, that the police had them believing that she'd killed her son and then needed their help. And they were, they were pressured into saying things, and uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. And then on top of that, she tells me that the, the jailhouse snitch also called and apologized to her, telling her that you know it was his second felony and he was facing time in prison and the police were threatening to uh, pin the murder on him. <laughs> I said, well, they, they might have told him that. But I said, uh, uh, more than likely, he's, he was just worried about his deal not falling through and going to state prison.
1: But, yeah,
0: uh, but that, yeah I was, so I was surprised when I heard that. And then even more surprisingly was, she, you know, she tells me that, uh, you know, when they came up here and, and apologized to me and, and, and told me what happened, she says I I understood and, and I forgave them, she said.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. You don't want to hold on to that for the rest of your life, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it had to well, have been a lot of guilt.
1: Yeah, just crazy crazy yeah. story and it sure makes you lose more faith <laughs> every time a story yeah. like this comes out it makes you a little bit more weary of of uh police which i you know i'm i'm a big supporter of and and uh, i am too and, you
0: know i i was in law enforcement yeah. for a long time and you know but but then you know i happen to notice over the years that uh the police started get, you know they started people started losing respect for them for for whatever reason and and uh People don't want to cooperate. They don't want to get involved, and it's probably because things like this happen.
1: Yeah. So, well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this the story spread uh, and people talk. You know.
0: She has a she has a notice of claim filed with the attorney general. Uh, to be compensated for her losses during during her imprisonment.
1: Well, hopefully it works out for her. I mean, you know, I don't know how how well a lot of people do that get in that situation. You know,
0: yeah. No, I don't either. It's. Uh, uh, I know. Yeah. I know it's 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 pending. Uh, they, they, I know there's been some uh, depositions taken, and uh, but you know those civil things can take quite a while.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't always turn out. But
0: no, it doesn't always. Well,
1: now, to, are you are you, do you have a website now still, or is it back up, or how is that? Run? Yeah,
0: you know, I don't have the website up uh, with the new book yet. Uh, but um, as soon as it all as soon as it all gets live on, on Amazon and, and and some of the other sales platforms then I'll, uh, I'll I'll put all those links on the on the website and it will be available
1: fantastic well yeah I'll have it up on our website as well so people can find it easily with one click and pick up the book it's it's really yeah. a must read I think I think people need to uh, you know, and it's a good story. You're really involved in it. You kind of know the case inside out, and that's perfect. You know, people Yeah, yeah, that.
0: That, uh, that's the thing. You know, I, I knew all every every aspect of the case because I, I worked it very closely, and like I said, I have access to the whole file.
1: Yeah. Well, that's important. A primary source makes it real. People got to, you know, they'll pick up the book. Um, Now, the book is called Immunity for Murder, and it's the Veronica Taft story, and the author is our guest, David M. Beers. Um, Thanks a lot for telling us about your book.
0: Well, thanks for having me, and, uh, uh, yeah, I would encourage everybody to read it, and uh, if they they have thoughts about it, uh, put it in a review. I'd, I'd be anxious to hear from them, regardless of what they have to say.
1: Thanks, David.